Did you know that the Bible teaches that everyone will one day be resurrected? The question is, in which resurrection will you participate? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you encounter the biblical Jesus through the words of the Bible. We are presently studying the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, and we are in chapter 20. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, begins today's study titled, No Grading on the Curve, by explaining the different resurrections that are presented in the New Testament. Let's join Dave and see if we can get the order of resurrections straight. Daniel 12 speaks about the resurrection of all those that have trusted in God, believed in the promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament period. So that would include Adam and Eve who weren't Jewish, but they looked forward to the promise of God. It would include Melchizedek. As you look at the Old Testament, some of your unbelieving friends will say, you mean to tell me that nobody was related to God in the thousands of years before Christ came? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that men like Job, who was probably not Jewish, men like Melchizedek, Naaman the Syrian, Jonah was able to preach to the whole city of Nineveh, an entire pagan city, came to believe in Yahweh and thousands of people responded to Yahweh. They're going to be in heaven. When will they be resurrected? I believe they'll be resurrected before Christ instigates his millennial kingdom and then they will rule with him just like he promised them in the Old Testament scriptures. Also, we learned the last time we were together that those that had been beheaded because of their commitment to Christ, the martyrs were raised when Jesus came back to set up his kingdom and they were given their just reward. So we have the tribulation saints that are resurrected. If you add it all together, you have Old Testament saints resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. You have all the church age saints resurrected in the rapture. What that means is if you do the math, that means that the only people left to be resurrected are the unbelieving dead from all the ages. And that's what John meant if you looked earlier in the passage that talked about blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. Chapter 20, verse 7. It says, They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life. They were resurrected and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now look at the next verse. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. What the Bible's teaching us is that the first resurrection is a resurrection to life, a resurrection to reward, a resurrection to ruling with Christ and being with him. And blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. That's what the text is telling us about. The second resurrection is what takes place after the millennial kingdom, after the universe is destroyed, and then we have the great white throne judgment. And this is the second resurrection, and this is a, a resurrection unto eternal judgment. And that's what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 21. You say, well, Dave, what's the criterion that decides where the people will spend eternity? Look what it says. It says the sea gave up the dead so nobody will be able to expect it. In the ancient world, it was a horror to be buried at sea because they thought you'd be lost forever and ever. And the Bible's saying, no, your body will be collected 
and you know God can, can put things back together again and there will be a resurrection. So people have died at sea, which would in the ancient world be like the farthest place you could ever go away from the presence of God. God's able to reach them and get them together. It said that the sea will give up the dead. Death and Hades will give up the dead that are in them. In the scripture, the idea of Hades is like a temporary holding tank where all the believing, unbelieving dead go. Like if you die now, the Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you die now as a believer, you are instantaneously in the presence of the Lord. But what happens to someone that, that has not received Christ? It's an unbelieving person. They right now go to a place called Hades, which is called death and Hades. And it is a, like a temporary holding tank before the great white throne judgment. And what it's saying here is that death and Hades are going to give up all those that are living in that realm waiting for the final judgment of God. So people right now that die without Christ, according to the scripture, are not sent to the place of their eternal damnation, but they're sent to Hades, which is a temporary place, before they face final judgment. What it's teaching us here is that death and Hades give up all the dead that are in them. And it says that each person was judged according to what he had done. I want you to understand something. How many of you have ever said, you've heard an unbelieving person say, I don't think God is fair. We all have at times. I want you to think really hard about this. The one thing that you don't ever want to quibble with God about is his fairness. God is absolutely, totally, in fact, he's the only being in all the universe that's absolutely, totally fair. Did you go out this week? God knows every single detail about every single person you will ever meet. He not only knows what they do think, he not only knows what they, what they do do, but he knows what they, could, what they could think, what they could do. He knows every possibility. And what this text is saying is that God will judge them according to the deeds that they've done. In other words, every one of your unbelieving friends are going to be judged by what they've done. Our life, if we don't receive Christ, the deeds that we do are going to determine where we spend eternity and their degrees of punishment in hell. God's going to be totally, absolutely fair. For example, there's going to be somebody here in the United States that every time you turn around, you can flip on the radio, hear the gospel declared, hear what, you know, the good news of salvation, you can respond to it, and there's people that cuss it and say, oh, this Jesus blankety-blank-blank, rip off the radio. And one day they're going to send me for the Lord, and the Lord's going to expose all of that and say, man, every single day I try to reach you. Every single day I try to, to get across the message to you, and you hardened your heart, and it will be totally fair and there will be great condemnation. You say, what if there's preachers that have taught this book and then they turned out to be a hypocrite and they lived for something totally different? The scripture says they will be given many latches. They will be given a much stronger degree of punishment in hell. So someone that doesn't even have the scripture into their language and they, they've never really even heard the gospel totally clearly, how will they be judged? They'll be judged upon the revelation that they had. The sun came up every day reminding them and revealing to them there's a good God. If they responded to that message from nature, Psalm 19 tells us that every single day, nature is crying out to people. There's a good personal God. You can get to know him. You can respond to him. And if people respond to that message, God brings them more revelation. 
God brings them more truth. But if someone hardens themselves to the revelation in nature and instead they worship little idols and worship gold-covered wood carvings and, or they worship the, the creatures that are around them like the birds and, the, and the, the waves of the ocean and the fish of the sea and they worship the creation instead of worshiping God because they didn't have the opportunity that an American person had to be blanketed with the gospel, they're not going to be punished as, as much. There's going to be degrees of punishment in hell. That's what I want you to understand. It's going to be totally, totally fair. God says he will judge everyone according to their works. It will be fair. Now, before we go on, I want to ask you a question. I want you to imagine that just think back over this past week. There's someone that knows everything you've thought, everything you've done, all that's going on inside of you, and we're going to come to church this morning, we're going to put it on an overhead projector and just put it up here on the screen. How many of you want to come to church this Sunday morning? How many of you would want to stand before the great white throne judgment, standing in your own ability to do good? How many of you would like to do that? In other words, knowing, I've told you that God doesn't grade in the curve. He's going to grade you totally objective. In fact, you know what the book of Romans says? The book of Romans says that God will judge us based upon our conscience. Those that don't receive Christ, don't respond to his love. He says, I'll just take your conscience. Just take your conscience as a, as a somewhat of a barometer of what's right and what's wrong and will judge you based upon whether or not you live consistently with your conscience. Do you think anyone would go to heaven on that basis? No. That's why we need to tell people about the Lord. You live in a crazy postmodern time that believes that people are all good, they're all happy, we're all going to live forever and ever, that there's some great wishy-washy spirit in the sky that will never hold anybody accountable. And I'm telling you this morning, it's not politically correct, it's not in line with postmodern thinking, but I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, it's the truth. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades on his absolute, judicial, just, moral standard. And you need to get that through your skull because there's incredible false teaching about what's going to happen. I hear it's the craziest thing in the world that people say about what happens to people when they die. And this is the only book that with credibility, with someone who's actually died and rose again from the dead, that can come back and tell us what's really going to happen. This is the only book that tells you the truth. And this book is saying that the books will be opened and they will be judged. But notice the criterion for what decides eternal destiny is not the books, but the one book, the book of life. Look what it says. It says, Then death and hate were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What in the world is this book of life? Let me go back a little bit and kind of put together this idea of the book of life because it's so important. This book is introduced to us. Back in, the, back in the book of, of Exodus, Moses is really concerned about his people. In fact, it's where the golden calf incidents took place. Remember the story when Moses was up on the mountain and he was receiving a revelation of God, he was receiving the Ten Commandments, and the people carved out a golden calf. They had an orgy, they got drunk as a skunk, and they rejected all the morality that Moses was receiving on Mount Sinai. Moses comes down off the mountain and he says, man, the people have gone crazy. And God's ready to just exterminate the people. 
But Moses said to the people, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go out to the Lord. Perhaps I can make a covering, an atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and he said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, just like we learned in Revelation 17 and 18, the threat of materialism. But now, this is Moses praying, please, Lord, forgive their sin. But if you cannot forgive them, then blot me out of the book that you have written. This is the first introduction to the idea of the book of life. It's the book of those that are accepted to God, that are accepted into his kingdom. And Moses had this, has this incredible love, very similar to the Apostle Paul saying in the book of Romans, I wish I could be accursed if the, my Jewish people, my physical brothers and sisters, would only believe in Jesus. It's an incredible love. What a burden for unbelievers Moses and Paul had. So Moses says, Lord, if you can't forgive them, I'll go to hell. I'll be eternally condemned so that my people can live. But notice what the Lord says. But the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out from my book. Now I go out and lead the people I spoke of and my angel will go before you. When the time comes to punish, I will punish for their sin. I want you to get the phrase, whoever has sinned against me will be blotted out from my book. There will be nobody in hell who is in hell because of some mistake in the, in the plan of God and some craziness that took place or they really wanted to be in heaven but they ended up in hell. Everyone's going to be in hell because they hardened themselves in sin. The soul that sins is the one that will die. And what the text is telling us here is that God has a book. It's called the book of life. And people's names are written there. But when someone hardens themselves in hardened, unrepentant, rebellious sin, and only God knows when this point comes, they harden themselves in unbelief, then their name is blotted out. That's the picture that's used here. Now, obviously, the Lord God in heaven doesn't have to have books that he gets out and tries to figure it out. What it's saying is that it's showing you God's heart. God's heart is for people's names to be written in his book of life. That's why I don't believe that the scripture teaches that little babies are anywhere near hell. It's why I don't think little children, before they reach the age of accountability, when I study what the Bible really teaches, I ask the question of the Bible, who is it that faces eternal judgment? I always get the answer. It, are, it is those who have hardened themselves and committed themselves to a life of arrogant rebellion against the revelation of God, and they live committed to that. The Pharisees... Had, that, had Jesus say to him, to them, it will be forgiven you because you blasphemed against the Son of Man. And Jesus was saying, in my earthly form, it'd be easy for you to miss me. But when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that will never be forgiven you in this life or in the next. What did Jesus mean by that? What he said was that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was working in your heart, trying to bring you to the truth, trying to get you to respond to God, trying to get you to receive the revelation in the Son of God. When you harden your heart to that again and again and again, God knows when your hearts become a heart of unbelief. So the Bible teaches that it will be responsible adult people that have responsibility, that take responsibility for themselves, that know the difference between right and wrong, and they harden themselves to reject the revelation in nature or the revelation in the scripture that God has given them. And you're going to meet people this week that are moving towards those kind of characteristics. 
They think you're crazy for reading the Bible. They think you're nuts for believing in Jesus. They're living their life just for self. You need to let the word of God expose the way the world really is. And God's heart is for people to be in his book. For God so loved the world. He wants their name to be in his book and never to be erased. But when the soul that sins, the person that hardens themselves in a life of sin, and we're going to learn as we study the rest of the book of Revelation, those that are immoral, those that lie, those that blaspheme, those that curse, it says they will be in outer darkness. I didn't say that, God did. And he doesn't grit in the curse. As we read further, you can read in Psalm 69, it says, For they persecute those you wound. And they talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. And do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Psalm 69, verse 28 and following. Psalm 69 describes a group of enemies that mount an attack against the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. In the ultimate scheme of things, Psalm 69 speaks specifically to those that, that were crucifying Jesus. And, and they gave, it even talked about them giving him gall to drink. Remember when they offered the sponge to Jesus on the cross? It speaks about this, this incredible hatred that was mounted against the cross. And Jesus is saying is that those that hardened themselves against the Son of God and hated that cross and laughed at that cross, it says their names will be blotted out from the book of life. We read in the book of Revelation, it tells the church of Sardis, you have not soiled your clothes. You will walk with me dressed in white, for you are worthy. He who overcomes, and the one that overcomes is the one that believes that Jesus is the Christ. It says you will be dressed in white, and I will never blot your name out of the book of life. The promise God gave the church of Sardis is you're eternally safe. You're eternally secure. I will never blot your name out of my book. And yet there's another group of people whose name is blotted out. It says all the inhabitants of the earth who worship the Antichrist, the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belong to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. They're the ones that receive the judgment of God. And that leads to 17 verse 8. It says the same thing. Those that worship the Antichrist where their names are erased from the book of life because they did not choose to worship and love the Savior Jesus. The whole world divides between those that believe in Jesus, they love him, they accept his gift of life, and their names are forever eternally written in the Lamb's book of life. On the other hand, there are those whose God's heart for God so loved the world that he gave an only begotten son. God's heart was for them to respond to him. There's many, many verses that talk about the universality of God's love. But it also speaks realistically about the fact that human beings can harden themselves against the revelation of God. And they choose to live a life for gold. They choose to live a life for themselves. They choose to ignore the living creator of the universe. They choose to just live their life the way they want to live it. And it says that their name will be erased from the book of life. And those are the individuals that Revelation 20 says, and whoever was not found written... In the book of life, whose ever name, in other words, to turn around, whose ever name had been erased from the book of life, they'll be lost forever and ever and ever. No curse. This is really a sobering thing. You know, we live in a day, the modern world tells you, you want to believe in Confucius? Great. One day you can stand before the great spirit and say, I was a committed Confucianist, and you'll be welcomed home. You live in a society that says, you know, man, I believed in Buddha. 
And I went to the temple every day and I crossed my arms and I did yoga. And I mean, I was there devoted to Buddha. And I'm going to sit before the great spirit, whoever is out there, whatever force might be. And somehow I'll be welcomed into the great whatever it might be. You live in a world where it's a dominant thing. If you're Islam, if you said, oh, Allah, hero, you know, Allah, you know, Muhammad is prophet. Allah is God. Muhammad is prophet. I've said that over and over and again. So one day I'll stand before Allah and Muhammad will welcome me home. The Jews will say, well, man, I try to obey the law of Moses, and I listen to Dr. Lohr every single day, and man, I try to pull myself up and be a really good person, and I took responsibility, and I'm going to stand before Yahweh, and I'm going to say, Lord, I was a good Dr. Lohr follower. I try to obey the Ten Commandments. I even read her book on the Ten Commandments over and over again. And other people say, man, I was a good Southern Baptist. I was a good Bible churcher. Man, I went to church every day. I got news for you. You live in a society that says all those people are fine. The book of Revelation says, no, they're not. And I know that it's not politically correct. Man, I know that society, I know the atmosphere you believe. I know what's being told you again and again and again. But this is really serious stuff. One day I'm going to be dead. And so are you, unless Jesus comes for me. And it's not going to make a blot of difference what Oprah Winfrey said. It's not going to make any difference what your college professor said. It's going to be the real thing, men and women, and who you trusted in and who you built your life on is going to really count. And from the depths of my soul, I am so thankful. That I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it will never be erased. He said, Dave, how do you know that? Because when I was a little five-year-old kid, the Holy Spirit deep inside my heart through an evangelist caused me to realize Jesus died to take the penalty for my sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, died so that I would never have to face eternal hell, never face a lake of fire. He loved me so much that he gave his infinite life, his divine life, his human perfect life, he gave it for me. And as a little tiny kid, I said, Jesus, I don't understand. I, then I didn't even know that even tell him I didn't understand. I just said, Jesus, man, that's what your word says. If I receive you, you died for me that you'd give me eternal life. And that verse goes on and says that he's going to live. Like the Gospel of John ends with Jesus rising from the dead. As a little five-year-old kid, I said, man, I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. And from that day on, the Holy Spirit's been in my life, causing me every single day, not that I always live consistent with him, not that I don't feel, but man, every single day, the Holy Spirit's saying, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. God's grace has been poured upon you and I can feel him pulling me constantly into a greater intimacy with him. I know my name is written in the book of life. I have life residing inside of me. Are you sure? Can you all join me in that? Are you absolutely sure that your name is written in the book of life and because you've trusted in Christ it'll never, never be erased? You say, Dave, I'm not sure. Well, you can make sure this is one of the is really strict stuff, important stuff. This is the ultimate throne room of heaven. There's not a reason in the world for anyone to ever stand before the great white throne. You should only stand before God as your daddy. You should only stand before Jesus as your savior. You should never stand before him as your condemning judge. You can, be, you can cross from death to life. You say, Dave, how do I do that? Right where you're seated in your heart. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, what Dave said about what went on in my life this past week. Man, I take a good look deep inside my life, and man, I know I'm not going to get there in my own strength. Man, I know I'm not good enough. And I just admit to you 
that what you say about me is true. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your character. Have you ever really done that with God? I'm not asking you if you were baptized. I'm not asking you if you walked an aisle. I'm asking you whether you ever talked personally to Jesus, that Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner, that, I, that man, if you expose what's going on inside of my heart, I'm not going to ever make the pearly gates. And I admit that. And Jesus, I grab a hold of you. You told me that you took the payment for my sin. You, on the cross of Calvary, took the penalty that I deserve. And the just, holy God of the universe said that would cover the bill. I believe it. I'm going to rest my eternal case on the fact that when Jesus shed his blood, he paid the bill for all of my personal sin. It was forever cleansed and blotted out. And I believe on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And because you're alive and you conquered death, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Not in a church, not in a religion, not in trying to turn over a new leaf. But I'm going to trust in the power of a resurrected Christ to give me a life that will last forever and ever and ever. If you affirm that from deep in your soul, then just like that, you can know for sure that you'll never face the great white throne judgment, that your name will never be erased in the book of life, you can look forward to eternity with Christ forever and ever. If you don't believe in Christ like that, then Revelation 20 is one of the scariest, most awesome passages that I could ever read in all the Bible if I was an unbeliever. Because they tell this point blank, no curve, no comparison to other people except as far as reward, as far as degrees of punishment. But man, when it comes to the big dividing line between heaven and hell, if you haven't received Christ, if you haven't responded to him, you're going to be lost forever and ever. Those words, lost, away from the presence of God forever and ever and ever, are the worst words in all the universe. And the tragedy is that there's no reason in the world for anyone to ever have to have those words said about them. Dave could not explain to us more clearly how to make sure that we will never stand before Christ as our judge at the great white throne judgment. All you need to do to escape that judgment day is to receive the gift of eternal life by receiving Jesus into your life as your Savior today. Simply pray like a child. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I can never earn my way to heaven. I deserve your judgment because of the guilt of my sin, but I accept the fact that you died as my substitute, and I invite you to come inside my life and take up residence in my heart. Lord Jesus, come into my life now. 